Hey, happy Tuesday. Thanks to Devin Peacock for being here yesterday. So an old friend of mine was an insurance investigator. He had his own company, but essentially what he would do is he would be hired by insurance companies. And they would send him to follow people that they thought maybe weren't telling the complete truth, the whole story. They were getting their insurance benefits, yes, but were they kind of on the up and up or were they maybe trying to defraud the insurance company? Some of the stories he would tell would blow your mind. One of the best ones was this. He received a call from a company that he worked with a lot and they said, we have someone who is collecting insurance benefits after claiming that an eye injury took away a lot of their sight and that they aren't able to work right now because they can't see. And I'm not sure what the eye injury was. I don't even know if he knew what it was, but he went and watched this person. So for the first little while, he didn't really see too much, and he would actually sit in his van. He had this really cool interior where he actually did have a TV in the front seat, but it wasn't so he could watch it while driving. It was there because it... Helped him to pass the time while he was kind of staking these people out. So he watches this person come out of their house, and they do have a cane that they're walking with, and they did have a dog that would assist them. And so he observed that for a couple of days. And then he happened to watch this same person. He was almost ready to say, this is it. This, This person is telling the complete truth. I can't find any evidence. And then all of a sudden, the same person comes out of the house with a friend and bounds down the steps, no cane, no dog. And they walk over to a car. And he watches as the person who apparently has lost some of their sight walks around to the passenger side, so everything looked okay, and the friend got around to the driver's side and... The person with the apparent sight issue lifted the handle and it wouldn't open. And so he saw them talking back and forth. All of a sudden, the person with the keys on the driver's side throws the keys over the car. This person catches them with one hand, unlocks the vehicle, and then throws the key back. Uh, He was good enough that he got that on video and... The insurance company was able to ask, hey, uh, what's what's with the site thing here? Uh, you just caught keys in midair. And that person eventually, I think, was weaned off their insurance benefits because they weren't telling the truth. Well, there is a little something that has come out today that is kind of warning against things like this, that if you are committing insurance fraud, that if you're saying, yeah, I can't work because of this, or I need these benefits because of this, and you aren't telling the truth, you might want to stay away from social media. The Coalition Against Insurance Fraud, that operates a lot in the United States, has given their own example. You ready for this? So we've got a guy who submits a claim on his $60,000 Corvette saying that he crashed this Corvette on an interstate off-ramp and it was damaged beyond belief. And so the company begins to process his claim and they had nothing to show that this wasn't 
true. And then all of a sudden, the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud, who worked with this insurance company, happens to find a video online. And it's this guy, and he's in his Corvette, and he's at the start line on a drag strip racing a motorbike. And the video shows the guy getting into the vehicle and then shows the Corvette and the motorbike going down the drag strip. And at the end of it, the Corvette spins out of control and crashes into the side wall. All of a sudden, that guy's got some issues. Very interesting to see where they will go. Just know that those investigators are out there and know that they are looking because that's exactly what was happening here. My buddy used to work in North Bay, just got back from North Bay. I have never felt cold. Like that before. It was like when you stepped outside, you started a clock, and your skin had about eight seconds before it would start to really, really sting. And it would keep on stinging until you found a warm spot. And you know what? We had to feel fortunate being in North Bay, being in those kinds of temperatures. It was minus 47 with the wind chill Sunday morning. Because there were people who weren't as lucky, weren't able to get inside and get out of that cold. And I'm not sure how they do that throughout the winter in North Bay. We drove by a warming center and it was just this little tiny door in a little tiny building. And I thought, that's, that's it for warming centers? Hopefully there are more than just that one out there. We have a lot to do on the show today. We are going to be talking about the Downtown Business Association annual general meeting, which apparently could have had a lot of fireworks tonight, but things are going to be actually pretty quiet, it looks like. And we'll talk about what has happened to create that. We may look at electric vehicles. We're also going to look at where you might want to end your life. And as morbid as that sounds, no, this becomes a pertinent question. We're going to be talking with Peter Bergmanis of the London Health Coalition because we once again have seen reports of some of the things that have taken place in long-term care homes. And does it make you say, you know what, i got to make some other arrangements. i gotta, I got to get on board with my son and daughter here. I've, I've got to make sure that we're getting along because I don't want to do this. I don't want to be at risk for this. Or is this something that is part of your future plan? Or is that something that... You know what? You don't necessarily think about until just before that time. It's one of those existential thoughts that we always struggle with. Hey, do you want to go and get a burger for lunch? Yeah, that's an easy decision to make. Hey, what do you want to do in 20 years from now, 30 years from now, maybe 40 years from now? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I got I got some time, right? Before I have to think about that. We're not very good at existential thoughts. And we're also going to do some celebrating on London Live today because Swoop is coming to London. And so we're going to illustrate what that actually means. Swoop is an airline. If you've never flown Swoop before, they've been out of Hamilton for a while. That's one of the first spots that they started. And now we've got an announcement that they are coming to London. But we're going to look at what this means because it's not just, oh, well, yeah, now flights are offered to Abbotsford, British Columbia, or Halifax, Nova Scotia, or Edmonton, Alberta. That's not the whole story. If these flights are well-received, then all of a sudden you've got other airlines saying, you know, London's a good place to fly out of. We've got airlines that would like to fly out of there. And next thing you know, you build this up. And then you're not having to drive to Toronto or Detroit and work out park and fly and things like that. You just go from home. 
And so we'll look at how that actually dovetails nicely into this latest announcement. So lots on the show. Up next, we will go into the Downtown Business Association and their annual general meeting. Again, there was supposed to be a bunch of fireworks. There were some downtown businesses and downtown property owners who were not happy with a few things. And this is usually the place where you air the laundry, right? This is, if you've got a grievance, you wait for that annual general meeting and you say, here it comes, step back, I'm going to let you have it. That could have happened tonight, but it's not going to. Why? Well, we'll find that out next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We know that there's been a lot going on in downtown, and we've heard it almost from the beginning of whether it's the construction that was taking place or certainly during the last council, a lot of BRT talk. And I love one of the questions that was asked last week on London Live. When are we going to find out what politicians think about BRT now? Well, we haven't heard them really talk transit just yet. Everybody's kind of giving them time to get settled. Remember, the last time... We went through an election, and we didn't have maybe as much change this time around as we did last time around, but it does take a little while for things to get started. In fact, there were questions being asked after 2014 about what has this council done in the first year, remember? That was a big topic. So I think it'll come, but that's certainly been one of the concerns. Bike lanes have been a concern Loss of parking spaces, that's been a concern. But bubbling underneath all of that have maybe been even bigger concerns. And those concerns, well, they were set to be aired tonight at the Downtown Business Association annual general meeting. And a number of businesses had actually been in contact with Mike Lerner from Learners and had talked to him about what was taking place this year, and wanted to look at a few things. So the best thing we can do is talk to Mike Lerner and find out a little bit more about this. And he joins us now on London Live. Mike, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Mike. Let's look ahead to tonight and essentially what this meeting is going to be about. Where do you put your finger down on the first line? Well, the first thing that is important is that a meeting that could have been uh, disruptive and probably contrary to the interests of the downtown has now been avoided. Okay, but there, but there is still a meeting. Oh, there is still a meeting. It's the annual general meeting of uh, the association. Uh, it's held annually, of course, and it is primarily to review and approve of the actions of the board over the past year, to approve the new budget for the coming year, uh, some housekeeping that has to be done uh, to complete uh, uh, 2018. But, Mike, you just said that it could have had some fireworks to it or something similar to that, and now it likely won't. Where did the change come in? Well, uh, uh, since I initially uh, approached uh, the downtown uh, in early December, There have been uh, a number of meetings uh, over several days uh, involving a great deal of time to try and come to some sort of an accord that would prevent uh, the meeting uh, from uh, being disruptive. Uh, What has happened is uh, I have negotiated uh, along with uh, Susan Toth, 
and uh, members of the board uh, a resolution uh, that is now part of a memorandum of agreement that hopefully will be approved tonight and allow the process to go forward, uh, likely resulting uh, in uh, the recommendations being approved by the members in uh, late spring and then uh, be whatever that uh, decision is made, uh, it will be in- implemented immediately. London lawyer Mike Lerner with us on London Live as we talk about the downtown London annual general meeting, which is it's still happening. However, there could have been some things that, that became a, a little contentious that seem a little bit smoother now in terms of, of kind of what you had to iron out, Mike. Can we pinpoint anything in particular? Was it the process? So where, would you, uh, where would you put that? It was the process, and uh, uh, there is such a thing as an open, election and a closed election. An open election is uh, where uh, people are nominated uh, by the membership at large and then voted upon. Uh, There may be a slate proposed uh, by the uh, nominating committee, but uh, it uh, welcomes uh, nominations from the floor. Uh, A closed uh, election is when the slate comes forward from the board and it is either to be approved or rejected by the membership. That has been the case, and uh, that, uh, I believe, has been uh, part of the problem. So that is one of the things uh, that uh, an ad hoc committee that hopefully will be approved tonight, consisting of three of the members at large and three board members at large uh, who will meet, and there will be a an independent facilitator uh, to deal with these uh, issues individually, uh, hopefully coming to a comprehensive recommendation. Okay, and from there, what would you anticipate, that we might see another election of a board in in the near future? Well, most importantly, uh, there will be a new process that will focus on things like how the board is elected, uh, term limits, uh, how the uh, the voting is to take place, whether uh, it can be done both in pre- person and electronically, uh, whether or not uh, members of the board ought to be members of the association, etc. So a lot of housekeeping that needs to be done to update and uh, make uh, bring clarity to uh, the bylaw and the rules. Uh, that's what Hopefully it will happen, and if it is implemented immediately, uh, I suspect it will mean a a new election uh, in the, as I say, in June sometime uh, that will uh, elect uh, the board to uh, finish off the term of the current board that coincides with the municipal election. And Mike, were those kind of rules and regulations and orders of uh, of you know orders of of work were they not in place before? No, it was it was very uh, it was very loose. The bylaw uh, I have actually referred the bylaw to the city solicitor for a comprehensive review. Uh, I think that we both agree that the bylaw can be improved and uh, can be clarified. Uh, It will also involve a clarification of the rules uh, that the uh, board has been using so that uh, the process will then now be clear and there will be a roadmap to follow that uh, will 
remove any uncertainty as to how the board is constituted. London lawyer Mike Lerner with us. Mike, one last thing, and that is how are downtown merchants and how are other businesses and property owners in downtown doing through all of what is happening, not just with construction, but certainly with some of the future plans and and what might happen with cycling and what might happen with BRT or whatever it happens to be? Well, and and that's that's the $64,000 question. Uh, no one can predict with certainty what's going to happen. What needs to happen is the downtown has to position itself, uh, recognizing that this is a critical time. Uh, this is an opportunity that can really change the direction of downtown, and we cannot let it pass. So, so some of the things that you mentioned are going to happen, and we need to know uh, how we are going to adjust to it. How are businesses doing downtown? Some are doing fine. Others aren't doing so well. Uh, With the construction uh, of Dundas Street and the other construction downtown, uh, it has been a disruptive uh, past two years, and I think most of the merchants downtown will say that they just need a chance to catch their breath. Mike, thanks so much for outlining the change going into tonight. And as much as sometimes fireworks are fun to watch, you you don't want to get too close to them. And uh, it's nice to know that you won't have any to get close to tonight, it looks like. Well, we'll wait till the 24th of May for the fireworks. (laughs) That sounds good. Mike, thanks for the time. Thanks, Mike. Mike Lerner. We're close to that, aren't we? Isn't it May 2-4 in just a little while? Huh? No, no, it isn't. Although it is warming up, although that just means we're going to get all kinds of weather stuff. There was talk 70 millimeters of rain and freezing rains. 70 millimeters? And what is that going to do? Because it won't soak into the earth. So tomorrow could be a messy, sloppy, kind of frightening day. We could bring along May 2-4 anytime soon. That would be just fine. But the temperature is slated to go up. It is going to be very windy tomorrow as well, so just be prepared for that. And tonight, the Downtown Business Association has their annual general meeting. And essentially, what Mike has outlined, if you're just joining us and you missed some of that interview, we were talking with Mike Lerner from Learners, and he said that there was a process that really wasn't in place I mean, here's how someone is elected. Here is how this order of business is carried forward. And so we said, well, did that not exist before? And he said, no, it really didn't. And so they have now established that it will go into effect, looks like following this meeting, and then we'll carry forward. And that could bring about new elections for the Downtown Business Association. We'll see how that carries out. And then, of course, everybody's still watching to see what will take place and how downtown is going to be affected going forward. And we won't have those answers until, as was talked about last week on London Live, we have City Council start to figure out what it is that they would like to do. Here's what we are going to do. We're going to celebrate Hot Sauce Day. That's today, January 22nd, hot sauce day. How hot can you go? Ever had a ghost pepper sauce? I haven't. Ever signed a waiver in order to eat a chicken wing? If you've done that, can you tell the rest of us what that's actually like? Can you either email or give us a call, 519-643-2222, when we come back after Jacqueline LaBelle and news? If you've ever signed a waiver and then eaten a chicken wing, What is that like? Does it hurt? Does it hurt the next day? 
Inquiring minds need to know. So we'll celebrate Hot Sauce Day, and then we're also going to talk about electric vehicles, but not the electric ones with four wheels. We'll talk about electric vehicles that only have two. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Happy Hot Sauce Day. I did get a note, and this one comes from Tim, and Tim says, You're not being chicken, are you? You should add it to your bucket list if you've never had to sign a waiver to eat a food. Well, we had a wing place open in London, and they brought us in, kind of one of those media events, and then they kind of feed you stuff. We didn't have to sign a waiver, though. I don't know where the waiver came from. We did eat the hottest wing on the menu. It was hot, but... We didn't have to sign a waiver. Like, is this a new thing, the whole waiver deal? Do they do this in Canada? I'm not sure. Remember, hot sauce and hot things are measured with the Scoville scale, and it can start with, like, a pimento. A pimento actually goes on the Scoville scale. What do you mean, a pimento? Like what you put in a green olive? Yeah? That has some heat to it? What? No, it doesn't. Is it because I always eat it when it's pickled? Then you get into banana pepper. Then comes jalapeno. And then you get cayenne pepper. Then you get to habanero. Habanero is the sneakiest stuff when you're eating wings, isn't it? Because you get anything with habanero, it's a sneaky one. Where you eat two wings and you it's fine. I don't notice anything. And then all of a sudden, your lips go numb, your, your, numb, your tongue goes numb, and you've got issues. That's the habanero. And then apparently there's a chocolate habanero that I don't think has a lot to do with chocolate. It's not chocolate-covered habanero. It's just habanero. And then you get into things like the Dragon's Breath Pepper and Pepper X, the Carolina Reaper. After that, you got the Ghost Pepper, and uh, that gets pretty hot. So it's hard to describe hot on the radio. Christian DeVino is producing London Live today. Christian, have you ever had to sign a waiver to eat a food I have. It was in Daytona, of all places. Okay, actually. so Day- oh, I'm hoping this is spring break. You're setting setting a nice scene uh, here. Spring break? No, I was a little too young for that. This was 2011 after the Daytona 500, so I bet uh, this goes back to my brother and I. I bet that Tony Stewart would win the 2011 Daytona 500, and he said, "I'll, I'll if you if da- if Tony Stewart loses, you have to eat this chicken wing, which was at this place called the Bethan Grill." In so wait Daytona. a minute, wait a minute. He, you had Tony Stewart, and he had the field. Yes. Wow. Is he an older brother? He's younger. Younger? He's younger. Shrewd. Yes. Good business person. And so this place, uh, Tony Stewart didn't win. Trevor Bain won that day. And that that was the saddest thing. It wasn't like I lost money on it, but man, I had to eat these chicken wings. So <laughs> we go to this place called the Beth and Grill, and um, they only gave you five, five chicken wings after you signed this waiver, because apparently it was over a million Scoville units per chicken wing. Wow. And... Uh, I got through three, but I couldn't. I couldn't handle the bane after that. It was. It was terrible. It was so the you, worst thing I've ever done in my life. You actually had to sign your name saying if I'm in pain for anything, or if this does damage to my body, or did you read the waiver? Ah, uh, my, my. I think my dad read the waiver. I just was like, <laughs> I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna go ahead. <laughs> sign the waiver, eat the food, and you made it through three. When did the pain stop? It didn't stop until I, I would say I was still feeling it after a couple hours from Come then. On. Yeah. It was pretty bad. It was intense. I had to I had it wasn't even milk. Usually people drink milk to dull the pain. I asked them for half and half. So cream oh it was it was bad. 
Okay, beware the signing of the waiver. Did the pain come back the next day? In- intensely. Yeah, that's what I thought. Happy Hot Sauce Day, everybody. Be careful. Be careful if you're signing a waiver. Otherwise, uh, I don't know, maybe just stick to the pimento. We'll come back and we will talk about not hot engines, but electric engines. And not four-wheel electric engines, at least not right away. May have to dip into that afterward in a conversation. But we'll find out more about a two-wheeled electric engine. And who's putting this on the road and why? This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. London Live brought to you by our good friends at Winmar, your restoration specialists. Remember, if you're doing any renovations, give them a call. They handle those things, too. Tom shot us an email, Mike at 980cfpl.ca. He says, best wings in Kitchener wings contest. Got to check that out. To try the hot wings, you had to sign a waiver. Tom says he took a friend from El Salvador who said he could handle the heat, and he was crying. And all of their backsides felt like the opening of the show Bonanza the next morning. Tom, that gives us an interesting thing to think about. Wow. If you have had to sign a waiver, uh, let us know how that went and whether you'd do it again. Because Tom doesn't say whether or not they did it again. I don't see him saying, yeah, annually we go down to Kitchener and we do the best wings. Christian, did you, have you ever signed a waiver a second time? Not a second time. Would you? Probably. By now. Yeah, if I enough would. time passes. Because you know what? We eat hot food because there is kind of a, a reaction by the body, right? You, you feel good. That's what it's there for, right? So that's why we do it. It's hot sauce day. If you're going to do it, do it today. At least celebrate by eating a pimento. Just throw somebody a bone and uh, and and get on that Scoville scale. It's It's only zero to 100 Scoville. If you knock back a pimento, not nearly the over a million that Christian was eating. That's that's waiver territory. Let's talk a little bit about getting around. We've looked at downtown London just quickly today because of the Downtown Business Association having their annual general meeting. And, of course, they've had concerns about some of the transportation that may come through downtown in the future. But how about transportation overall? We know electric vehicles are becoming a focus of manufacturers. In fact, you can go to quite a few places right now and find charging stations right in the city of London. There's one right across the street from City Center where our studios are here at Chorus Radio London. And there are vehicles plugged into it, charging away. So we're going to see more and more of those, but it's not necessarily just cars that are getting into electric vehicles. Let's talk motorbikes, although they are just electric bikes, because the motor, it's, it's there, but it's a little bit different. Aaron Mitchell joins us right now from Rockies and Blackbridge Harley-Davidson to talk about an electric version of a Harley. And uh, this, this is good. Can we do an impression of a Harley? <clears throat> That's about as as good as as I can get. Uh, Aaron, how are you? I'm great, Mike. How are you? I'm enjoying hearing those sounds. That's that's the sound <laughs> of a Harley Davidson. If we're to look at maybe what some of the models that have come in pretty recently look like, a certain one in particular, are we going to hear that? 
You know, the live wire doesn't have that traditional Harley Davidson sound to it. <laughs> but, you know, the way we look at it, nor should it. Um, this is a really exciting time for us. You know, electric vehicles are the way of the future. And I think this is a really cool opportunity uh, for Harley Davidson with uh, the live wire to embrace the electric vehicle technology and to really become familiar with it and bring a new uh, model of transportation to our existing family of bikes. Now, I look at the specs on the live wire. This, even though it is electric, this can go from zero to 100 kilometers an hour in three and a half seconds. Mm-hmm, it's pretty fast. Uh, you know, I think there's been a, when you think of Harley Davidson, you, you know, we all have our typical preconceived notions of what a Harley Davidson should be. You have that, you know, you hear that sound in your head, you're thinking about the open road, and, you know, where we're really going with the electric motorcycle is, you know, a new mode of transportation. And it's going to be, you know, it's not your long trips. It's not your loud noise, but it's a great way to commute, to get around, um, you know, to really embrace this new electric vehicle technology and have some fun with it. Now, that's great because I guess when you picture Harley Davidson's, you picture the open roads, you picture going from London all the way down to, say, Georgia or Tennessee, or you picture some cross-country trek through Canada and everything this country has to offer, uh, this this would be for, like you say, shorter trips, and, and it brings in kind of something that we're seeing a number of vehicle manufacturers go to. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that kind of move and, and how important that is kind of for the future. I think it's really important to embrace this technology early. You know, when you reimagine your morning commute and, you know, if you could avoid going to the gas station, you're just going to plug your motorcycle in at night instead of, you know, go pump gas on on your way into work. And, you know, what does this move of, like, moving around our city uh, look like if you can approach that in a different way with greener energy, a less of a environmental footprint, you know, there's, um, and still have fun while doing it. Um, I think when you think of, unless you're thinking of a Tesla or a Prius, you know, our preconceived notions on what electric vehicles and electric transportation have been are fairly limited. Um, so, you know, here's a really attractive and fun new way to do that with the, still the speed and um, the mobility of a motorcycle, uh, but in a fun new re-envisioned format. Aaron Mitchell joining us, Director of Marketing with Rockies and Blackbridge Harley-Davidson. If we're to look at how far one of these electric bikes could go in one run, is there a limit to it? Well, <laughs> there's going to be a limit when you run out of power, but <laughs> it's pretty far. You, know, you can get uh, a couple hours, about 177 kilometers on a single charge. So, you know, we could get you to Toronto, but you might want to, you know, plug in for a little bit on the way back. <laughs> and could you just charge at home? So, absolutely. You know, there's lots of people that are exploring, um, you know, electric vehicle technology. You can plug it in into a, a normal outlet. It takes a little bit longer to charge. Um, we've seen a lot of early adopters of electric vehicles, um, you know, elect to put, you know, a quicker charging station into their own homes. Um, there's an app called PlugShare where you can look up, you know, charging stations all throughout the region. Um, you know, it's really easy. And as this technology continues to, to evolve, um, we're going to see more and more of those charging stations, you know, coming closer to London um, and increase in density of where you can charge your electric vehicles. 
you know, Rockies and Blackbridge Harley-Davidson were selected to premiere the live wire because of London's emerging um, focus on technology and innovation. Um, Kitchener-Waterloo area has, you know, a prolific tech community that are all very supportive of this technology. So we're really excited to be on the cutting edge of bringing this to London and the Cambridge area. So if somebody wanted to take a look at one of these, you do have them in stock? You can pre-order them now, and first arrivals will be coming in uh, mid-summer. Okay. Wow. They are available. Yeah, you can come in. uh, We can talk to you all about it. And then the first shipment, there's only a limited number of dealerships across Canada that are premiering the live wire. So we are very fortunate to, uh, you know, be able to bring that to this community because of how supportive these communities are of tech and innovation. This is as cutting edge as it gets then. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We're really excited about it. And you mentioned kind of a, a new audience for it. Is that something that, that went into the, the idea behind this where you've got people who are going to want, like we heard at the beginning of the interview with Aaron, they're going to want their bikes to make noise, but maybe people who, who don't want that, who are looking and have never owned a, a motorbike before, they're going to check this out. Sure. You know, the thing about Harley-Davidson is, Harley-Davidson is all about inclusivity and, you know, everybody that rides a Harley-Davidson shares this passion for being that, that feeling of being on the open road, that feeling of getting on your bike and the freedom of riding a motorcycle. We're not biased by uh, gender, occupation, income level, you know, it, it's all of that passion. So it's important for us to have a bike that matches all of our passions and all of our lifestyles, and we'd be completely remiss to ignore the fact that electric vehicle technology is what's coming down, coming down in the future, and we want to be the first to support and service that. Well, it's going to be something that certainly has people investigating and looking at ways to get around in the future. Aaron, we really appreciate the time today. It was great to chat, Mike. Thanks so much for having us. Aaron Mitchell from Rockies and Blackbridge Harley-Davidson. Just the next step in more electric vehicles being available. And I still look at electric vehicles now, and I'm fascinated to see what happens. Because I still stick it by the Netflix theory. Where the Netflix theory can be Netflix, it can be uh, DAZN, it can be any of those. But the theory goes this way. If somebody asks you to purchase something, and they say, in the case of Netflix, hi, would you like to purchase this for a year for $120? You think, no, no, not really. Well, how about 10 bucks a month? Yeah, okay, that's, yeah, that's, that's much better. I'll take that. And that's kind of the way that we have been treating electric vehicles, where you had to pay more. Ultimately, you were going to be able to save some money, but you think, mm, I'm not too sure. And really, if we're to look at it that way, we haven't had the number of charging stations. Not many of us, and I'm one of them, we just, we just don't understand exactly what goes into it. How much money am I able to save? What is happening? Is this something that's better for the environment than my pocketbook? I mean, these are questions that you wind up having. 
But now, when you're looking at individual companies continuing to come out and say, yeah, we're going to focus a lot more on this. Take a look at, what, the the latest announcement out of Oshawa with GM. What were they doing? Well, they're kind of revamping the way that they're looking at their company, and the idea is to be able to go and to be able to investigate what the needs of future consumers are going to be. And if you miss on that, then you're in trouble. So it's interesting to see that even something like motorbikes are looking at having at least that option. It's whether or not it gets into the mainstream in terms of consumers. Is there a reason you're not driving an electric vehicle right now? Is it simply because it's, yeah, well, it was, it was more than a gas vehicle. And that was, that was about it. 519-643-2222 if you want to weigh in. That's 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. And we will head to the phones very quickly before we get ready to go away to break. Again, phone lines 519-643-2222 or out of town one 866 354 Bob, you had a thought on electric vehicles. Yeah, hi, Mike. Uh Electric vehicles, yeah, you know, they're they're nice in theory, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a while before we can have all, and I'll buy one, but I'm not going to buy one if I can only get like 100 or 200 kilometers, right? So what is it going to take? You want to be able to use it? How about price point? How much does that matter? Yeah, well, it better be competitive to just a regular vehicle because I'm not going to pay five, six, ten thousand $10,000 more for an electric vehicle. Even if you're saving money on gas and maintenance? Well, but yeah, but, but you see, this is what I, I don't understand when people think electric vehicles. We're not being honest with ourselves, and we don't discuss the impact it's going to have on the electrical demand of this province or this country. Mm-hmm. So I can save gas, but I'm probably my my electric bill is going to go up. And let's face it, let's be honest here. Um, you're going, to, you're going to impact the environment, even if you have all 100% electric vehicles on the road, because now you're going to have to build more uh, uh, stations to produce, uh, you know, electricity, more nuclear plants. Probably they're not going to burn coal, and they're probably not going to go back to the simplest way of hydroelectric dams uh, and using our water sources and rivers, right? Because that's an impact on the environment. So you're kind of pigeonholed here. It doesn't matter which way you go; the impact on the environment is going to be huge, right? So, and, and another thing, too, is we've got to be honest about this. Gas prices go up all the time because gas companies know we need it. When we have electric cars, make no mistake, your electricity is going to go up skyrocketing. And we're going to be complaining about our electricity charges for our vehicles as much as we do about how high the gas prices are. And the third point I'd like to make is another reality check is, we should be driving electric cars. This this technology should be more well well advanced, and I will be the first one to buy one if it meets the criteria I, I uh, you know previously mentioned. But these people who own the oil, they're not giving it up. They're they're not going to allow electric cars to come in until the last ounce of oil is squeezed out of the <laughs> earth. Like this is the way the world. Well, that's works. yeah, that's that's been the push so far, and it'll be interesting to see how that moves forward because we are seeing manufacturers now getting more on board with it. But yeah, the the mighty oil, Bob. We got to go for news. Thanks so much for the call. Coming up, we're going to talk about the end of life. And it's not going to be a depressing conversation, but there are some things definitely to look at. We'll let you know what else is ahead in just a moment. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.
Thanks to Terry for the picture of him on a Harley. Coming up, we are going to talk about end of life, but we're going to look at it in the perspective of where do you want to spend yours and some of the reports that have been coming out about long-term care. And we'll also talk about where you can go from London and why it's important to go out of London in the air. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. It's hot sauce day. It's the actual day. You could pick some up. Aaron Woodrick, who is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, just tweeted something kind of in response to the unveiling of Canada's new food guide that is focusing not on food groups, but on proper choices and those sorts of things. Here's his tweet. I love this. Aaron Woodrick says, who among us has not wandered the aisles of the grocery store aimlessly, telling ourselves, if only there were a government publication to help guide me on this enduring quest for proper sustenance? (laughs) Yeah. They've taken out meats and alternatives, which I don't mind. I never understood alternatives. Meats and alternatives. That's just like saying meat and anything. Hey, does this rock count? No, don't eat that. Yeah, but it's an alternative to meat, I guess. We've wiped away alternatives. We have, what, three food groups now? I think we're down to three. Why would we even need more? Soon, you know what we'll be down to? One. And you know what they're going to call it? Food. That's what it'll be. And that's kind of the way it'll end. Food. So, I'm not kind of making light of this because it's important to know how to eat healthy, but... If you don't know the term everything in moderation by now, or if you don't know that eating chocolate cake for breakfast is only a good idea every once in a while, not every day, if you haven't eaten chocolate cake for breakfast, you don't even need to sign a waiver. Make sure you at least do that. Add that to your bucket list. Tim said to add the sign a waiver and eat food to our bucket list. So that's why I add that in. Coming up later on this hour, we'll be talking with Mike Seabrook, who is the president and CEO of the London International Airport Authority, because he's got to be smiling. We've got new flights out of London, but here's what I want to look at. Not so much the announcement that you can fly a certain airline anywhere in this direction and that direction. I want to look at what this means for the growth of the London International Airport and the idea that if you bring in enough and you get this one coming and that one coming and then they're all going, what does that allow for? Is this really helping out Londoners? And if it is, how so? So we'll ask those questions in about 30 minutes from right now. I don't know if you saw this on globalnews.ca yesterday or at 980cfpl.ca, but the headline was certainly one that made you click on the story. And the headline is this. At least 29 homicides in Ontario long-term care homes in the past six years, according to a report. And we had the report from the Ontario Health Coalition. It talked about violence in long-term care homes. It talked about the homicide numbers that it had in the headline. And while it didn't assign blame... In terms of the homicides, um, 
it just defined homicide as one person causing the death of another and that sometimes there may not be criminal intent, but it becomes absolutely tragic. I mean, so many things can happen. You look over the weekend, the story about Gilles Duceppe and his mom. His mom's 97. She's in a long-term care home, or was, and a fire alarm went off, and there was an announcement that she couldn't hear that said, this doesn't affect you. She went outside, and nobody knew she had gone outside, thinking she was going outside because of the fire alarm, and she ended up succumbing to hypothermia. At least that was the initial report. So you have a tragic situation. We do have things like this. So how do we interpret a story like this? And how do we interpret it from a London perspective? Joining us right now is Peter Bergmanis, who is a spokesperson with the London Health Coalition. Peter, thanks so much for taking some time for us. Yes, it'll be uh, my pleasure. And I'm very pleased that uh, you're taking uh, some time for this very important story. Okay, when we see this headline, again, it's one that makes you click on the story. At least 29 homicides in Ontario long-term care homes in the past six years. Those numbers jump off the screen at everybody. How do you interpret that? It's uh, quite the sensational uh, bombshell of a story, true enough. And um, we cannot track that individually for our community, and I'd be talking London, Elgin, Middlesex. But it is the tip of what is the extreme end of the uh, increasing violence levels that you will find in long-term care facilities. Now, when we look at increasing violence, is there anything that is pointing to the fact that we do have more of these stories or every once in a while someone will have a video and it does show very violent acts taking place that maybe this wasn't much of a story in in the 90s or the 80s or even before anything you can point to or that you found out that is bringing this to a different level well we certainly have noted that uh, there's a number of factors at play here one is that we had a far more robust overall healthcare system in the 1990s prior to closing down chronic care hospitals and shuttering up uh, approximately 10,000 of our uh, psychogeriatric uh, uh, beds over that course of time. Uh, and then now we are, after 10 years of austerity for generally the, um, the hospital sector, uh, we've displaced so many beds out of the hospitals that you will always be hearing in previous stories uh, about the hospital overcrowding at London Health Sciences Centre. And so that's part of a culmination taking place here that well, there's a lot of people out there that uh, don't really need an acute care bed, but they actually do need some sort of bed where they could have been looked after appropriately. And uh, we're just not finding them in the community. Long-term care beds have become the default for the lack of these chronic care and psychiatric beds. Well, that certainly lends itself to explaining some of the issues. If we're to describe what a long-term care bed is then right now, how would you describe it? Well, in uh, this study, it's excluding the nursing homes, so that's not part of it. It is strictly a facility where you need some sort of assisted living, and uh, there's the degrees of what kind of complexity a occupant might have. And we're finding that, you know, over almost about 50% of those occupants waiting 
to get into a long-term care facility now definitely sicker. Their acuity level is higher. Complexity and uh, cognitive impairments are higher, almost 50%. Can you imagine what that would do to any workforce if they're dealing with that coming at you? And we haven't even begun to address that just yet, and that's part of this story as well. We're talking right now with Peter Bergmanis, spokesperson with London Health Coalition, and we're looking at long-term care beds. We're looking at a report that has come out from the Ontario Health Coalition that cites 29 homicides in Ontario long-term care homes in the past six years. And, Peter, I'm, I'm glad you helped to make kind of the distinction between long-term care home and nursing home, because there is a difference. Is it a major difference? Well, it's intended to be a major difference. Uh, they're, they're even under different legislation. A nursing home is strictly for, should be strictly, I may add, for uh, people who are can fairly independent. They can look after themselves for the most part. There is some assisted living uh, provided, but it's not entirely, like, totally dependent upon other care providers to be there around the clock. And uh, which is completely separate from uh, the issue at hand here where we're talking about the long-term care facilities that have become the default of all these other previous hospital uh, beds and uh, folks who would have been in those needed serious heavy care that, of course, a long-term care facility isn't equipped for that. And uh, they're only funded at about a third of the funding level that the old hospital bed that that patient would have been in is at a third a third okay well there's another big number but let's get into the numbers on that side of things and here's kind of what peter has been spelling out so far when we looked at the closure of chronic care hospital beds or beds that were there for geriatric patients with maybe some psychological issues you had everything kind of funneling into long-term care beds. What have we seen happen to the workforce since the closure of those beds? Has it changed? Well, the workforce, uh, regrettably, you know, you would think, okay, with the shifting in the uh, population to long-term care, there'd be, you know, improvements to the the amount of workers available, the training, etc. And that's just not ha- not been the case. In fact, as our aging population has been increasingly shifting to long-term care, the workforce numbers have been decreasing. And with fewer resources, it's very difficult to look after people who are increasingly heavier and demand more complexity of care. And let's take a look at our population. I mean, we know the demographics. We know that the population is not only getting older because of baby boomers, it's getting older because people are living longer, and we'd all like to think that that's going to continue. Why have we not seen maybe more attention paid to this? Any ideas? Well, it seems to be an absolute uh, policy decision. It's not a necessity. This is an ideologically driven policy decision not to invest properly in a publicly funded system that would have ensured that there is some uh, dignity and respect for those who are in the long-term care facilities. Like we're already in Ontario at the second last in numbers of long-term care beds per capita. That's like the most powerful, most populous province has the second least amount of long-term care beds available. (laughs) Now it is per capita, so we are gauging population by population. 
That is correct, by okay. thousand. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, that that doesn't make a lot of sense whatsoever. I mean, you'd almost love it to be, you know, at least one number across the board. Is there anything that you see that could at least do anything outside of telling these stories, which unfortunately bring tragedy before maybe they bring further solutions? Well, I think uh, we've done a lot of the study work and all of the answers are there in front of us. For any of the decision makers, if they so choose, they, they would actually recognize that, you know, we provided a template that they could follow. And clearly, like, if there is a real desire to do this, they would then follow recommendations for, yes, we need to improve the numbers of beds. We need to do that basically system-wide, not just long-term care. It needs to be all the way from the acute care hospital, bed capacity, right to long-term care. We know that we have the most efficient facilities are the ones that aren't the profit-taking ones. So we have to make a focus that it has to be a public service. And the ones that are doing that are like the municipal homes, although they're overwhelmed because of the waiting lists, waiting to get into those beds. Um, if we don't get on this very soon, we are going to be in a far worse situation than we even find ourselves in now. And when we hear about the cost that this could take, how prohibitive would you think that might be? Because if somebody says, okay, here's how you fix the problem, here are the recommendations, all we're going to need is X amount of millions of dollars, and there we go, how, how tough a sell is that? It, it is a tough sell for those who are, you know, of the mindset that uh, tax cuts are more important than human lives. But otherwise, how did we do this back in the 70s and 80s? We had more capacity then. We paid probably higher taxes, granted, that's the price of civilization. If we want to treat people with dignity and respect, then maybe you have to reconsider where we're getting our funding from. Peter, thank you for those words right there, and thank you for the time today. Thank you very much. Again, I appreciate the time for this. Anytime. We'll talk again. Okay, take care. That is Peter Bergmanis, spokesperson for London Health Coalition. He spelled it out. Tax cuts, human lives. And let's face it, A lot of this comes down to, sure, decisions, like we've seen in in so many ways, decisions to cut, whether it's programs or shutter the doors of psychiatric hospitals. It's all of those things because, you know what, and I hate to say this because I do not believe any government official, any elected official goes to work and says, let's see how we can screw it up today. That's not what's taking place. But when you're looking at where cuts are coming in, you're looking at a part of the population that is less likely to be noisy about it because a lot of times the people who are going to be noisy and are going to be able to enact an exact change, they're the ones who aren't there yet. They're the ones who are not going to look ahead and say, yeah, 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 but when I'm, when I'm 30 years older than what I am right now, when I'm in my 80s or 90s, ah. It'll all be settled. It'll be different. My head will be in a jar. I'll be living forever. And that's kind of what you think. I wonder what we're going to be doing in 30 years from now. Think of all the flying cars. Yeah, that's what they were saying in the 80s. There's no flying cars. We're not doing that. We can't even figure out electric cars. So 
when you look at this particular situation, Peter's right, as far as I can tell. You have to do something now because you can't have waiting lists. You can't have people who don't have proper care. You can't put loved ones at risk because soon you're going to be that loved one. And you're going to be at risk because next door to you there is somebody who should have been in a geriatric psychological bed, but that doesn't exist anymore. And now in the middle of the night they're coming in and they are beating you up. And that's something that I wouldn't want to wish on a loved one, and it's certainly something that I don't hope is in my future. So what do you do here? Tax cuts versus human lives. How do you get that across? Because essentially, you're going to wind up with, here is what it costs. Yeah, well, we're into saving money right now. That's the mode that the provincial government is in right now, because this province needs to do that. We need to cut back. And maybe, just maybe, we find enough money to channel it towards something like this? I don't know. You have to find a way to create that demand. Do we just keep telling story after story after story? Do we keep having headline after headline after headline that says at least 29 homicides in Ontario long-term care homes in the past six years? And again, by homicide, this is not somebody going in and outright murdering somebody else. But this is a death being caused by another individual that presents a, a very tragic situation. We're sorry to inform you your loved one was killed last night by another resident who was not in their right mind. I'm sure they can't use that language, but that's essentially what it is. So what do you do? You keep telling the stories and you keep hoping that somebody will say, yeah, okay, well, that's X amount of millions of dollars well spent, so we better spend it. Got a couple minutes for this. 519-643-2222. What do you do? Do you believe that this will get resolved? 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980cfpl. We've always had cute terms, haves, have-nots. It's actually a horrible term. But it's made to sound cute, even when it isn't. If you are somebody that right now can get out of the cold, you're lucky. If you're a part of the vulnerable population that cannot, then you're not lucky. And there are two more terms, lucky and unlucky. Does it really come down to that? And then you take a look at some of the long-term care issues that have been developing over time that people would have seen coming. Let's see. We're going to take a part of the population that up until now has been kept in a different area. And we're just going to allow everybody to come together in a long-term care facility. But we're not going to staff it any differently. And now we have issues. Now we have 29 deaths in six years. According to the Ontario Health Coalition, it's not a shocker. It was a recipe when they started this. What are they doing now? Because we will have people living to an older age. We already do. And with every medical miracle that comes by each and every day, and there are medical miracles every day, people are going to be living longer. The demographics of our population is aging. And we are going to need more care facilities like this. It's not 
a senior's home, nursing home, whatever you want to call it. These are long-term care beds where someone does need more assistance. And this is what we have happening. How do you make that differentiation between somebody who just needs a little bit more help and someone who should be in a different facility altogether? These are questions I can't answer, but they're things that we need to keep talking about. So thanks for listening. Next up, we'll have news with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. You know, if you have kids, eventually they become faster than you. When they're two and three years old, you can win a race, like, any time. Eventually, they do become faster than you. They eventually play video games better than you. And then there comes a point when they become smarter than you. And I went through a thing like that just yesterday. My son was talking about a dream that he had had. He woke up from his dream. And it was a big flash of light outside his window. And I went, maybe it's a UFO. And he looked at me and said, yeah, Dad, right. UFO? He said, do you realize there's a great chance that we are alone in the universe? And I went, no, we're not. The universe is teeming with life. And then he proceeded to take me through, and he hadn't even rehearsed this, essentially some evidence that shows, including the Fermi paradox, why chances are we are pretty much alone. And it deals with the fact that if we were going to be found, we would have been found by now because we're a relatively new civilization. And since the universe has been around for 13 billion years, other civilizations probably would have been born before us. And then he went through a few other things like, do you realize what Jupiter does for us and acts kind of like a guard where it will take a lot of things that could have been very harmful to the earth, whether it's space debris or asteroids or whatever it is. And it sucks them up in its gravitational pull and either, you know, the things get sucked into Jupiter or it kicks them back out to a different part of the universe. And let me see, what else did he talk about? Talked about the size of our moon. I mean, this went on like a lecture. I just sat there going, I... I didn't see any of that coming. We're in the Goldilocks zone, of course, but that the moon is so big and that it causes the earth to spin at just a a little twist of the axis, and that allows for tides, and it stabilizes temperatures on the earth and does all this other stuff. I'm the guy who instead would be this guy. You know how we had a lunar eclipse on the weekend? Well, in Ponte Verdra Beach, Florida... They actually had a couple of people who have now just fished their vehicle out of the ocean days later. This would be me. They wanted to get a good look at the lunar eclipse, which, by the way, as we learned last week, you can look at. So they drove to the beach and they wanted to see the super blood wolf moon. And they saw it. And because of the tides, their car actually got sucked out they got out of it because the water was coming in they didn't really notice and all of a sudden the car got sucked out into the ocean they've been able to pull it out it's not going to run very well again salt water not necessarily good for the engine but that would be me overall though i was just trying to make a a ufo joke and got put in my place so now i can't beat him at video games i can't beat him at basketball and i'm certainly not as smart as he is it's humbling getting older isn't it next up 
we'll find some good news. We're going to find some very good news. And it involves the London International Airport Authority. It involves new flights out of London to Edmonton, to Abbotsford, B.C., to Halifax, Nova Scotia. And we'll talk about what this means from a a broader perspective. And if we look at, you know, if you bring in more airlines and bring in more flights, what does that do for your airport? Mike Seabrook is going to join us, president and CEO of the London International Airport Authority. That's next on London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So we have new places we can go without having to look to Toronto or Detroit, although I'm not sure you'd fly from Detroit to Edmonton. How many stops would there be? Well, we've got you a flight. You'll go Detroit, Dallas, Phoenix, Edmonton. It'll be fine. You'll be there by Thursday. So now we are going to be able to go from London to Edmonton, from London to Abbotsford, B.C., from London to Halifax, because Swoop Airlines is making its way to London. But I want to look at this from a broader perspective. It is a good news story, yes, but let's kind of look at how we can make this maybe a, a more regular occurrence where we're adding things in. We've added airlines along the way just Over the years, WestJet for sure. I mean, there were times when we didn't have charters flying out of London. Now we do. Joining us is the president and CEO of the London International Airport Authority, Mr. Mike Seabrook. Mike, it is radio, and we are talking kind of by phone here. I can't see your face, but is that a smile I hear on it? Yeah, it's a good day to be in the airport world, Mike. No doubt. Let's kind of put into perspective how something like this happens. If we think back in time, it wasn't too long ago, I hope, because we'll all feel old if it was, that WestJet became a part of some of the connections through London and was flying out of London. How does this compare? Well, to to make you feel old, that was 2002. No. (laughs) No. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Mike, it's 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 a combination of things. I mean, as an airport, we're we have the ability to identify where people are traveling to and from, um, where the more popular destinations are. So we can quantify that, take it to airlines, and make a pitch to them for their service. And then there's there is some just basics in this industry. If you have X amount of population, you know, based on historical kind of travel averages, it can support service of this uh, type based on that population. So we've been in, um, Swoop is a relatively, you know, new carrier. They're part of the WestJet group of companies, and they, they've really only been flying for eight or nine months, but they've they kicked the door in and they're off to a great start. And uh, we're, you know, we're thrilled that they're part, that they've decided to come to London. Well, that's definitely good news. Now, when you're able to go and tell different airlines, hey, WestJet flies out of here, and now we've got Swoop out of here, and this airline, and this airline, and this airline, what does that do? Well, uh, one, it's it's almost like a shopping mall. The more uh, stores you get, the more uh, attention you attract, and definitely... um, you know, we're trying to get that momentum uh, going in our direction, and this swoop announcement will will go a long way to that. But we think, you know, based on in 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 our uh, method of measuring how big our market is, we had 536,000 passengers that went through our airport in 2018. We believe if we stop those people from driving out to other airports, mainly Detroit and Toronto, our our airport could be two or three million in passengers. So. 
we've got a big market, and what we've got to do is get better services in here with competitive fares that are attractive to the traveler. Um, and travelers, passengers do like to use this airport. It's, it, it's easy and comfortable, as we call it. It's hassle-free. So if you can get to your destination directly, it's kind of a no-brainer. You will use this uh, this airport. So with that all in mind, um, you know, we package these opportunities to the airline and try to convince them uh, to fly our uh, the routes that we proposed. And in the case of Swoop, they, they thought it was an excellent fit for their model. We're talking with Mike Seabrook, CEO of the London International Airport Authority, about Swoop joining the ranks in London. And I guess in doing so, and I like your mall analogy, Mike, if we have a mall and you've got a number of different outlets, if you shop at those outlets, if we bring people into the mall, we get more. Does does an airline industry work that way too? Yeah, believe it or not, it does. It, um, I mean, one of the fears when you add services is, uh, is it going to have a negative effect on the on the incumbents, the other that are here. And, you know, history in the aviation really hasn't shown that. And, uh, you know, competition makes everybody sharpen, uh, sharpen up and get get a little more aggressive and, and uh, you know, get their, their whole business act more together. So, I mean, I would expect from with the addition of Swoop that, and they're a different service. They're an ultra low cost carrier. They're different from Air Canada. They're different from WestJet. That, you know, it will help overall raise the, uh, you know, the whole uh, level of activity that takes place at the airport. The other thing that we did, which is kind of unheard of in the industry, is we, as uh, as part of this swoop announcement, we have lowered our cost of operating at the airport. And in air- airports in Canada, there's what's called an airport improvement fee. It's a fee charged for capital improvements in an airport, and every airport in North America has it. Ours was $15. We've lowered ours effective uh, the end of April to $7.00. Um, and it's what the passenger pays when they when they book a flight. We've done this to make our airport a lower cost airport, a more competitive airport, and then help us stimulate more traffic through here. So we're 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 not just leaving it up to the airline. We're trying to do our part. Mike just got an email from Matt, and Matt was wondering, and I'm not sure if you'll be able to do this, but he's wondering yep. whether or not you could clarify why sometimes fares are low to go to destinations. And as we talked about, Swoop has some new destinations for London, out to BC, out to Halifax. But why sometimes they're low, and then you go, and and it's kind of the same flight, but it's not as low anymore. Yeah, if if, uh, if Matt had an answer for that, I'd give him a thousand dollars. It's it's uh, it's an interesting one, Mike. The there there it's supply and demand. I mean, airlines are in the marketplace in in any market to make money, and they're no different than any business. There's days of the week where um, demand is more than others. There's times of the year when demand's more than others. Uh, every market has different uh, levels of competition, and more competition results in you know lower prices in theory and all these things come into play um and you do have uh swings and sometimes wide swings in fares and um you know i really can't uh if there's no predicting it um but as i said earlier the the one kind of given is that if you get more competition in a market uh it should help lower fares overall and that's you know that's kind of what we're hanging our hat on and um 
I don't have a great answer for Matt. That's about the best I can do. That's okay. That, that does make sense because, hey, if, if we throw in supply and demand, yeah, it does make sense. If, if the planes are going to be full, then what, would, would you add another flight sometimes? Can it get to that? <laughs> Oh yeah, that's uh, that actually is the trigger for a lot of uh, of new service. We just uh, WestJet Encore, which is their regional service in here, just added a third uh, flight to Toronto. Day they had two before, they added a third uh, flight because of the demand. I mean, it just you know they they wanted to fill holes in the day, but in the end, um, their loads and and the fares that people were paying out of here and then connecting in through Toronto were at a level what that it made sense for them to add flights and. The other thing that's important in aviation to con- to always consider is that the assets of an airline are 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 mobile assets. They're they're planes. So if it doesn't work in London, they can pick the airplane up and move it someplace else, and they'll pick a market uh, again similar to any other business, trying to maximize their their level of profitability. So. You know, I mentioned earlier we reduced our airport improvement fee. That's going to help the profitability of the air carriers. And if they're profitable, they're going to stay in a market. So, you know, we're, we got to be always conscious of that and, and uh, try to uh, produce the right atmosphere there for them to, uh, to be successful. Mike Seabrook with us from London International Airport Authority. Mike, before we let you go, can we talk about the business in London and, and what you've seen kind of year to year for the last yep. little bit? Yeah, the... Um, We've had good, steady, incremental growth, you know, 3 4 5% a year, which is it's good. It's good to build a business on because our, our revenue and expenses and everything are, are predictable. And, you know, we've got a viable airport uh, that, that uh, you know, that is uh, in good financial shape. Now with the addition, and so in 2018, we ended up with uh, 536,000 passengers. With Swoop coming for the part year, they start at the end of April. We're looking uh, probably, Mike, somewhere around 750,000, 800,000 passengers in this part year of 2019. So huge increase for us, like to the tune of, you know, 50, 60%. And for a full year, um, we like to think we can get close to a million passengers. And as I mentioned earlier, Swoop has other plans for London that include, you know, North American flying, U.S., um, popular destinations that they have in their network today include several destinations in Florida, Vegas, Phoenix, Caribbean, Mexico. You know, we want those added here. And um, the sure way to make sure they're added is that the flights that are here that start this summer, this spring, are successful. So that's kind of my appeal to London and our region. Take a look at uh, the swoop service and and the other service we have here and everything you can do to support this airport is going to make it a better airport and and give you less hassle driving to Toronto and Detroit and all that which we we're trying to accomplish so support us the, as best you can so swoop comes in this spring comes in April twenty eighth beautiful well Mike congratulations and thank you for kind of the outline of all of this 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 has been really informative really appreciate the time I appreciate you calling Mike and have a great day. Mike Seabrook, President and CEO of the London International Airport Authority, getting us caught up about what this means. So you fly out of London, it makes sense. You fly out of London, and next thing you know, we get more opportunities. That brings about more flights. More flights means cheaper flights, and everybody wins, right? Is that the way it goes? We'll investigate travel in the next little while. Does cold weather breed travel? You'd think it would. You'd want to get out of this. You'd want to, now that we're finally into winter, you'd want to find somewhere sunny, at least to look forward to, right?
It's more of that have-have-not, lucky and unlucky stuff. We were talking about the people in Florida on a beach watching the lunar eclipse who found themselves unlucky when the tide came in. We found someone who's actually unlucky-er, and we'll tell their story before we go. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So if you go to watch the blood wolf moon or the wolf blood moon, super blood wolf moon, you want to have a good spot. And we talked earlier about the people who were on the beach in Florida, in Ponte Vedra, and the tide came in and they didn't realize and their car got swept out and they got to jump out of the car, but the car had to be pulled out of the ocean now days later. Well, that wasn't the worst story of eclipse watching what is it with the eclipse i didn't even think you were supposed to look at it but apparently you can look at a lunar eclipse uh not far away from pontevedra beach in florida in west palm beach we had two individuals who decided that they would stop and watch the super blood wolf moon back on sunday night and so they uh They sat down on some pavement. Now, other people might call this sort of pavement a road. That's where they sat and watched. And next thing you know, there was a police car happening by, and it was driving very slowly because they weren't on like a highway or anything, but they were on a a roadway where vehicles did travel, and the police officer hit them. Now, fortunately, he was going five miles per hour at the time. The two were taken to hospital and treated with injuries. Had they been five feet to either side, they never would have been hit by the police cruiser. More and more, we're being told why we should stay away from Florida, aren't we? A lot of people make fun of Florida Man. The TV show Atlanta did that. This is why. What are you doing? Why are you sitting in the middle of the road? Well, it's not a real road. There's vehicles on it. And when a police officer can't see you and hits you, you need to be wearing brighter clothing. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This was Florida. Were they wearing clothing? Just a second. Yes, yes, they were wearing clothes. Uh, Dodged that one, didn't we? We are out of time on London Live. We have all kinds of things coming up, and some of that will deal with freezing rain and rain. We could get a lot of precipitation tomorrow, and the fact that we do have frozen ground, the weekend side of that, means there's nowhere for this stuff to go. So John Wilson is going to outline the day that we have ahead is, yay, the temperature's warming up, but uh uh-oh, Stuff's falling from the sky. Thanks to Christian Devino for his help on the show today. London Live is brought to you by Winmar, your restoration specialist. News is next on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.